RPS, powered by SET. Welcome to the weekly review on RPS, the radio show where we discuss some of the hottest and relevant releases in pop culture. Since it is Pride Week, we'll focus our attention on cultural references that continue to pave the way towards true equality, tolerance, and the celebration of freedom to love and be whoever you choose to be in this world. We have Arca's new album in our ears. We'll talk Will Ferrell's Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. We will also catch up with the new season premiere of Dark. And we'll be joined by Mar Valverdu, who's going to be talking to us about courting with music. Uh, to my left is Ben Cardew. Hello. To my right, the aforementioned Mar. Hi. And through the screen we have Rob Roman handling the controls. And opening we have Pure Fire. A roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Back to the little boom way what's up on Take some rain, no stop, rain on one one. Rain come, rain come, come shine, come rain, come on. Southside let it bang, outside let it rain. Rain down on the pain, rain down on the slain. Rain down for my mom, rain down on the farm. Shower us with your love, wash us in the blood. Drop this for the thugs, know I grew up in the mud. The top is not enough, wash us in the blood. Is it in the in the blood, whole life being thugs, no choice selling drugs, south side what it does, rain down on us, genocide what it does, slavery what it does, rain down on us, whole life selling drugs, wash us in the blood, wash us in your blood, wash us in the blood, wash us in the blood, wash us in the blood, holy spirit come down, holy spirit come down, holy spirit help now, holy spirit in the blood, whole life being thugs, no choice selling drugs, genocide what it does, mass cost what it does, cost cost what it does, another life being lost, let it off, set it off, execution 30 states, 30 states still execute, that should not kill, I should not spill, next tales at the rendezvous, we got your time in the federal, squad box you in like a sectional, we walk through the blast in the residue, now look what we headed to, rain down on us, rain down Wash us in the blood, wash us in the blood Holy Spirit come down, Holy Spirit come down And they tryna control Ye, they want me to calm down They don't want me to Kanye, they don't want Kanye to be Kanye They wanna sign a fake Kanye, they tryna sign a calm Ye That's right, I call them calm Ye, but don't take me the wrong way But don't take me the wrong way, cause God took me a long way They wanna edit the interviews, they wanna take it to interludes Cut a whole sentence to interludes Nobody getting it, doing a different rain. Rain down on us. Holy Spirit, come down. 
us in the blood Whole life being thugs No choice selling drugs that is Pure Fire, the latest song by Kanye West, along with his brother-in-law, Travis Scott. Travis Scott, well, at least the husband of his sister-in-law. I don't know. He's part of the Kardashian family. They're both Kardashians, the male Kardashians. <laughs> um, ben, what, 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 what's the latest on that song? Do you have any down? Any? Um, well, it's a rare case of Kanye West actually releasing something at the time where he said he was going to do it, which is which is quite new for him. I mean, his last album uh, didn't really convince everyone, but everyone seems to have said this is a massive um, return to form. And it kind of, in the video and in the song, it kind of feels very right for, for the moment. Yes. And Mar, what do you think of Kanye West? What does your generation, well, never mind your generation, you personally, <laughs> what do you think of Kanye? Um, my relationship relationship as if I know him um, <laughs> with Kanye goes like a long way because I I always think of him as the one who introduced me to really liking music like getting into it um, I think the the first CD I bought was graduation um, and I always always um, liked him and held him very dearly to my heart so when he went full nuts on TMZ and said all this slavery is a choice and all this stuff, he, the problematic stuff he has been do- doing for the last few years has been like a dagger to the heart. Like, I, I'm so sad, but at the same time, I cannot like erase what I, it means for me. Well, he, he, he is a complicated pop star, I guess. But this is the thing about Kanye West. I reckon he kind of thinks that when he's saying these things, he's being like really provocative and clever. But like, it, you say it's a dagger to the heart, and I'm sure you are not the only one. People actually do genuinely care about this kind of thing. I think sometimes there's a tendency to pop stars to be like, I'll say this really shocking thing because, yeah. you know, I'm this crazy person. But like people, actual... They have fans who have actual emotions who actually don't like to hear hear about these things. Also, I don't like Kanye West's voice; never have done, which can piss me off a bit. But he's a good musician. He's a good producer. He like he maybe is not the genius he wants to be, but he is really good. No, he's really good. But the thing is, you know, when you don't like someone's voice, it's very hard to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Like there's some people who who whose voices I just yeah. can't take, and he's. It's not, I can't take it, I just don't like his voice. I understand what you mean, but it's interesting because Kanye has always been the first one to say that he is not a singer and he can't sing, which is... And he has a lot to answer for because his uh, use of uh, vocoders and autotunes to make up his voice, shall we say, on 808 and Heartbreak, created the pop landscape we have today. Now, nearly all the young... Yeah. Well, everyone uses autotune news, uh, normally and stuff, and they also use it as an instrument. But... It's an, in- an interesting point that we're going to talk about later is uh, are beat makers, should beat makers be considered musicians? Of course. Hmm. Hang on. Uh, you, I think someone forgot about Cher. She was using autotune back when Kanye West wasn't, you know. <laughs> yes, but she used it on one song. He, u- he did it on an entire album. And, T-Pain? And, and t- yeah, and T-Pain. But T-Pain Daft Punk? Yes, it's true, true. I'm not saying Kanye is the inventor or the pioneer. I'm just saying that he is a classic example of someone who was not a gifted singer or even a gifted rapper, Mm -hmm. but his occurrences, his funny expressions and all the things he's been able to uh, use to become a musical artist is, uh, is a very interesting case. But I'd like us to remember that question. Is beat making... Is, is beat making musicianship? It is, it is, sorry. No, ah, I had it written down somewhere else when in my ARCA notes. I had uh, something written in block red letters saying beat making is not songwriting. And I don't say it in a, mad, in a bad word, in a bad way, right? 
No, songwriting, that's an entirely different thing. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? No, like, and I don't, I don't just mean being classically trained in an academy and learning your do, re, mi, fa, solas, but there is just some, the way that songwriters and musicians communicate making music is, I see it totally different as the way beat makers construct their works of art. I think it's a different, it's, it's almost a different discipline, but for the same loudspeaker. Huh. I'm on fire. Beautiful. <laughs> a same discipline, but for, for, the, for the same loudspeaker. And, and, we're, and, we're, and we're, we're, we're using up all this valuable time. Yeah, What's we weren't even going to talk about Kanye. I know, <laughs> but, but uh, we are talking Pride Week, and I must say Kanye was one of the, um, not the first, but a very vocal presence in hip-hop, one of the first to condemn homophobia in the hip-hop world. Remember, but all the way back in early in the early stages of his career, he was one of the first rappers to uh, vocally support the gay community, which is, uh, is, is uh, pertaining to what we're talking about today. It's Pride Week, which in any other year means massive parades through major cities, bringing people of all sexual preferences, dancing together in unison, while also addressing political issues regarding tolerance, respect and equality towards the LGBTQ collective. Sadly, in 2020, the love parades, like any other major outdoor event, have been postponed, but there's plenty happening in the virtual world to keep the conversations flowing and our minds entertained. For example, a new album by Arca. Shall we listen to a song? Oh, yes. This is your favourite, I think. This, you've been saying, going about, this is your, your song of the summer. This is my song of the summer, <laughs> declared. Uh, all right, this is Arca featuring Rosalia with KLK.
Arca featuring Rosalia with KLK, taken from Arca's new album, Kick One. We had a bit of debate yesterday about how that should actually be pronounced, Kiki, Kick I. And it's Kick One, apparently, because there are more kicks uh, coming later. And that is our album of the week. People are calling it Arca's pop album. Do you say that's fair? It is fair. I, I went back and listened to all of her albums from start to finish, and it is the one where she sings the most, even though she'd already started singing on the previous album, Arca, self-titled. Um, she, she's definitely coming into herself and feeling way more confident with this new identity that, or this this transition that she's into, uh, and and it's and it shines. It shines. It's also. Um very sort of relevant for us it's a very Barcelona album I think because she's got Rosalia on it she's worked with Carter Pusher who also lives uh, in Barcelona and Arca actually talked about moving to Barcelona Uh, she said she moved to Barcelona deliberately Uh, it was part of me that was reluctant to begin my transition in New York or London I didn't want to be in a safe space because I had a lot of doubt I felt I needed to go into a place that was more traditional in order to let that bloom within me so it's very much inspired by uh, Barcelona and by um, her transitioning as well. Wow. The cover art, I must say, is very Barcelona. It's been shot by Carlota Guerrero, who we've uh, had on RPS and we dedicated an entire episode of Created in Barcelona on the first, se- the first episode of that series. Uh, she's a wonderful photographer, very young, and she's captured a, a kind of uh, self-expression, shall we say, or she's very great at getting bodies uh, in front of her lens, no? of different shapes and colors and tones. Obviously, her work was very celebrated for the stuff she did on Solange's seat at the table which was also the cover shot was also done by Carlota here uh, Arca is wearing her exoskeleton um, kind of well she's got armor I guess something like that yeah it's like a sort of warriors costume well it reminds me of those the ones that they use for jumping in in some theater spectacles I don't know what they're called Mar do you know those Mm, things that I don't even know what you're referring to uh, Ah. they're like stilts yeah. But, the, but they look like the ones that spring, but I don't think these ones spring. And she's got these like long cl- metal claws, like Wolverine. Um, so she's always been very interested in working with these kind of aesthetics, no? creating these avatars where it's all biomechanical. Uh, even the cover for the one hour long track that she released m- uh, months ago also featured her in this kind of futuristic post-apocalyptic scenery t- tied to a car with cables coming out of her body, six um, nipples being milked. It's very, very stunning, very visually stunning, as always. i got to say, I saw Arca at Sonar, was it last year, I think? And she was wearing something very, very similar to this, this kind of, like, big exoskeleton and stomping around and looking really impressive. I think it's the same one. I, th- I read somewhere where she's like, and I used my old, you know, she, uh, she, she spoke about she used her old exoskeleton, as in it's, we've, fans have seen it before in, in live shows. But I don't remember those claws. Ah, so maybe maybe it's work in progress. Well, maybe you. I don't know if you could have claws like that in the middle of a gig, and particularly as during this gig she came out into the crowd and everything, Ooh. and you could really have a few problems with, with claws <laughs> like that. I wonder if she has to worry about security uh, insurance in these ki- with these kind of things. I'm sure she does. Uh, they look a bit hazardous. Um, <laughs> Ten minutes in, we've already gone to the insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, we are adults, Ben. We do take everything into consideration. <laughs> when I mean, I like this pop music, but will someone think of the insurance <laughs> premiums for crying out loud? 
Mar, what did you think of, of Arca in general? What's, what's your perception of her? What I know most about her, it's not her um, albums by herself, but what she produced, like Frank Ocean songs, and I think even Kanye, some yes. of his Yeezy. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love, like, I think it was endless that she, um, the Frank Ocean album, that it's somewhere in the cyberspace. Um, uh, I think she produced most of it, or she had a, played a big role on, on it, and I really like that. And I see her more of as a producer and beat maker, as you said in the beginning. And I know she still is mainly a beat maker and not a singer, but I haven't gotten too deep into her own stuff. But I'm I'm curious. I really like this Rosalia song that I listened when it came out, and I'm 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 starting to dip my toes into her own stuff by what? herself. Well, that's that's what Ben was was telling me uh, off the mic, right? This is Arca's most pop album, but does she cut it as a pop writer producer? So this is the nub for me. I mean, let's let's be uh, very clear. Like the production here is is brilliant. The production is absolutely brilliant. There are fabulous sounds, um, very experimental. I love the way that Arca brings lots of different types of music together, different types of music together, sort of industrial music and Spanish pop and Latin American sounds and trap and reggaeton and all kinds of things. That is absolutely not in any doubt. It's a fabulous sounding album. But I personally don't feel that it's got the songs. Um, and okay, this is made like this is maybe me getting older. But the older I get, the more I kind of like really value songwriting. I mean, on the one hand, I'll listen to like minimal techno that has no pretense of songwriting. But that's the thing; it has no pretense. You know, there's not even a, a song going in there. Whereas something like this, this is very much a song album, like a, a pop album. It's over in uh, 30, 12 songs, thirty-eight minutes. Things have choruses, verses, etc., etc. And there are obviously songs. There are tunes on there, but. I didn't find any melody that really, really stuck with me. Well, in fact, the, the, the melody that I liked most, in fact, and this is what I think really um, drove it home, was uh, Machote, which mm. is basically a cover of um, uh, Quiero Una Chica by, by Latin Dreams. So this was a song that uh, was apparently big in Caracas in 2003, and Arca was, was a big, big fan of it. And I just think it's notable that it's got a better melody than, than anything else. And like that Rosalia song is one of the best ones on the album because Rosalia has got that kind of swagger, that rhythmic sense that makes it like a real pop song. But I don't find that else, elsewhere on the album. I think Shy Girl's got it as well, like which makes that another of my favourite songs. And Björk obviously has a way with melodies, but some of the other songs didn't, didn't quite do it for me i'm afraid it's funny you should say that i think what might explain why rosalia is so incredibly deft at, at, at melodies at traditional melodies is because she grew up listening to uh, i imagine she must she obviously she's demonstrated she knows about subversive and underground music and she's got incredible taste but as a teenager she listened to a lot of flamenco pop i gather and she's obviously trained and studied flamenco profusely but but the the kind of mainstream flamenco pop you hear in Spain, there's loads of melody, very traditional, right? Uh, very, very radio friendly. And I think it's just part of her 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 formal ed her musical education, right? So she will always look for that melody and she has an ease, whereas Arca's 
teenage years were spent listening to a lot of Warp, a lot of Aphex Twin, a lot of the weird stuff, you know, even though I'm sure she also listened to a lot, well, she, if you look into interviews and look, read through the lines she, and look at some of the playlists she's made, she obviously does have an ear, she does have a taste for pop, shall we say, or mainstream pop, but she spent way more time it seems um, playing with um, the, the more subversive um, sounds that you would hear on stuff like Aphex Twin. You can tell, I can see, I can feel Bjork's guidance in, in this album. I think Bjork, who's become a very, very close collaborator with Arca and almost, I imagine they're, they're, they're really close friends as well. Uh, I bet Bjork is like the grandmother, or it's not not grandmother, <laughs> like the grand uh, elder sister, sorry, who is teaching her how to navigate between being sub subversive and critically acclaimed among the arts circles, but also brushing with the mainstream enough to be able to guarantee that kind of success that will establish a solid and epic career. But let's let's go back to Björk. So I hate to bang the same drum, but mm. Björk's uh, early albums, Björk at her best, she has incredible melodies, again. And I'd have to say Björk's most recent album, uh, Utopia didn't again didn't quite do it for me because it lacked kind of melodies. Because Arca produced know? it. <laughs> no, don't say that. They produced and ha wrote half the songs with her, or wrote, well, yeah. Yeah, and uh, right, just to get myself into more trouble, you know who this reminds me of a bit? James Blake, great producer, not very good with melodies. Oh, he he does have great melodies. I, I agree with what you say with Arca, but I don't think it's her like main goal to achieve like having great melodies because maybe she knows it's not her field of mm, songwriting um but not with james blake okay okay <laughs> i can't i can't hum a single james blake tune really except uh, uh limit to your love which was written by feist <laughs> sorry but going back to arca uh and speaking of bjork i'm amazed that he got she, sorry, got Bjork to sing uh, in Spanish. Well, recite a Antonio Machado poem. Did you hear? Apparently, they were like they had an email thread with Bjork, Arca, and Rosalie on. Imagine being on. No, because oh. <laughs> wanna... oh, let's get hacking. Arca@gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, can I get a copy of that? Look, can you realize we, we started the uh, the show with a song featuring Travis Scott, who also did a song with Rosalia, you know, which is pure fire, uh, 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 Tekken and TKN. Uh, Rosalia's everywhere. She's got her finger in many pies. But obviously the banger, the, the Arca's take on reggaeton is totally epic. I want to hear more of this sound. I think that I was watching uh, David Bowie's documentary Finding Fame last night, right? And it, and it centers on David Bowie before he became the megastar, right? Before he became Ziggy Stardust. He had about seven bands before hitting, you know, becoming uh, the, the, the icon that, that we now know today. So I was, I couldn't stop thinking about Arca. I'm thinking, you know what? She's going through this transition as a person. She has become a woman, but it's it's not finished. This transition is still going on. She still has a lot of um, medical processes to go through and hormoning and stuff. It's 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 not easy. If you look at any documentary about transitioning, it's 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 a complicated process and very long. It'll take some years, which is interesting. If this is kick one, and it's uh, the first of a four-part series, mm, she's going to have a lot to draw on to create. Uh, these these incredible self-expression albums. 
and uh, what 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 struck me was she's doing it she's doing everything well she is coming out of her shell she is feeling more confident in front of the microphone to sing with her voice and she does uh, different styles she does she goes from that kind of more operatic fka twigsy kind of chanting like she had on arca the previous album but then she she does a bit of spoken word you know she's she's finding herself she's finding herself much like david bowie was finding himself before he found fame before he reached ziggy stardust he he was all over the place so it's a interesting uh, career to compare shall we say uh, of, of people who are way on the limits of the external boundaries kick two apparently is more mischievous that, that Alka was talking about Rip the Slit and uh, she said that that's the most sort of kick to song in it. It's a kinky song. It's also the most repetitive. So there we go. Shall we have a listen to another song? Oh, I'd listen to the whole album, but yes, there's only mm-hmm. time for one more. Uh, we're going to put on uh, La Chiki, which is, features another of my very favourite producers, Sophie. <laughs> This is, as I say, what I like about Arca becoming more pop uh, means she will become a bit more established and become more visible in the mainstream and uh, we need more 
people, more trans people in the mainstream, more visibility towards, because even though a lot is being, um, has been done for the LGBT community, um, the trans people are still suffering a lack of visibility in normal society, in normal, I hate these words, um, just finding, finding their position, so we say, and having people like Arca for someone who is young and maybe struggling to be, you know, be, be who they feel like being, uh, to their to coming out to their parents, coming out in school, coming out to all those places where you're prone to get bullied and stuff. Well, it's it's very inspiring to see someone like Arca. I was reading about how uh, when she was in New York, uh, she w when she went to New York to study as a 17-year-old, she was still afraid of of coming out and uh, and she speaks about her first experience coming out as her first gay experience shall we say and it's very inspiring because it's it's something so little can liberate a person and and that person can go on to do all these amazing things like the case of Arca uh, so it's it's beautiful to study all these cases in music we, we see plenty of these um, examples of people who've managed to fight established um, prejudices and stuff through beautiful songs and stuff and uh, here to tell us about how people are using musical tastes to court each other online and and overcome that difficult question of asking um do you have the preference or not uh, to bring us this down low uh, mar you you've you've pointed yeah. out something very interesting yeah um recently if you've been in the internet, maybe you've seen on comments on pictures or maybe on Twitter, I don't know, basically internet slang, you maybe have seen the question, do you listen to Girl in Red or does she listen to Girl in Red? And you're wondering, oh, people are really interested in Girl in Red or and people really like Girl in Red, which is also true. Girl in Red is a very good singer. Um, but actually this question doesn't really um, refer to to the Norwegian singer but um, it's a discreet way of asking a girl if she is gay or she is into girls as well so instead of being so straight to the point and maybe even rude to ask someone are you gay are you a lesbian and maybe can come across a bit aggressive you can ask do you listen to Girl in Red? And maybe you can answer no, but yes, wink, wink. <laughs> oh, this is super interesting. Wait, hang on. So it's a thing. It's a thing yeah, online, yeah, yeah? yeah? It's a thing. I think it started on TikTok. Oh, I, uh, of back to the... Yes. <laughs> TikTok. See, we're missing out, Ben, on all this information. So but yeah, now it's a thing. Many people, well, I don't, it's not worldwide known, but I think if you ask the right person, they will know what you mean. It's funny because in in history in music history this has happened before, hasn't it, Ben? Has it? Where where a song not just for courting or or um, expressing a sexual preference, but um, using it using a song as a gate code or a, 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 a some kind of um, yeah, like a secret code. I'm trying to think when. We we should, we we should maybe do a show about this and research it properly. But I'm just trying to think. There was some example of how a song was a way for. Oh right, yes. Um, hush hush. We're we're part of the secret collective. Mm. 
Or well, there, there, there's the example I was talking about earlier, which is um, Friend of, of Dorothy, which I think um, I've got no idea. I, I think it's probably quite outdated now, but I remember back when um, back when I was young, somebody telling me that this was like, you know, a way of asking, uh, are, you know, are you gay, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, I believe, comes back to Julie Garland in her role as Dorothy oh, from yeah, The Wizard yeah. of Oz. Yeah, who was, who was uh, incredible, was a... Unexpected gay icon, wasn't she? Yeah. Well, the whole Wizard of Oz was um, was was. A, I imagine it in back in the day, and I think we researched this with Adam Kershaw for last year's special on Pride Week, which you can still hear on Spotify and see the world through your ears. Um, we were talking about how back in the day people would go to the cinema and seeing all these characters singing and be, you know, you had a lion, a tin man. Obviously, the, the, it was easy to find metaphors of being different and uh, from the rest and finding your place in the world and, and being able to love one another. And I can imagine back in the day, people, you know, people who weren't allowed to come out going to the cinema to see something like The Wizard of Oz and having a wink, wink moment and like, oh, you're like me. Yeah. Oh, let's 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 see. Let's do something about this. Mark, I'm really interested in this um, Girl in Red. Do you listen to Girl in Red? From what I can make out from Urban Dictionary, yeah. and that's what I have to resort to, it's it's pretty new, right? Yeah. I mean, the definition is only from April the 20th of, of 2020. Um, has this really only come about in the past two months? Yeah, I well, it, I thought it was even earlier, but not a, it's not been a year at least. It's been two months, like you said, or maybe three, but yeah... I, that's how the internet works. It can be two months, but it's already a known thing for mm. many, many people. But I like how it ha- the shift has kind of changed because w- what you said, like, are you a friend of Dorothy? It was kind of, let's not say it out loud because people might not be really nice to us if we say it. And now it's kind of, I can ask you if you're gay. I know you're not going to call the police <laughs> or something, but I'm. it's just a nicer way so you don't feel maybe you're not comfortable yet because you're coming out or um, whatever reason. So it's just a nicer way to say it's not that it's prosecuted yeah. to say, you, are you gay? So I I like how it has... We still have codes, but the reason behind having these codes is kind of different. And I I'm really happy it's not because of... Yeah, because it's not—it's not like a secret code, is it? It's not like—it's not like being gay in Yemen or in Iran, where you <laughs> really have to use code and stuff because you'll get stuck on a dilapidated. But is—is—is is, is it's like a nice code, not a sec- like you said, not a secret code. Like we both know what we mean. Um, me- other people might know what we mean. It's just a nice way to say it and funny. It's just making fun of it. Yeah. Now I can also see how it's 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 mild mannered in the sense mm. of any question can be rude. Like if you if I go up to you at a party and I don't know you and say, um, "What do you do?" It can be it can if I say it. Uh, oh, you. Oh, oh, uh, oh. And what what do you do? Uh, it, it, you know. Whereas it's a, it's a it's a way of saying it that sometimes might be a little bit. Um, what do you do? What do you do? You know, yeah. mind your own business. <laughs> you care what I do? What, if, what do you mean? Is it what is it if I'm a, if I have money you're interested in me if if I don't have a job you're not going to talk to me anymore yeah, you know how there's that kind of thing in social construct of yeah. how to ask a question or uh, yeah 
it's 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 always something that's been very prickly in certain cir circles regardless of especially if, when it comes to s sexuality like who do you like to sleep with men or women it's like no let's <laughs> try not to be disagreeable do you listen to girl in red it's softer it's like i do do you and it sounds nicer and has anybody do, do we know what girl in red thinks of this of this yeah um girl in red actually has had many interviews and she has answered questions on Twitter because she's kind of trending her name it's everywhere kind of um, and she actually said she doesn't want to be a queer icon not like she doesn't like being one but it wasn't she didn't strive to be one when she started writing music mm. she just wanted to be honest like that's my the path I went through that's like my songs are kind of my diary that's the things how I navigated through my sexuality and if girls relate to this honesty because it's something they um struggle with and have similar experiences then good I I'm glad it helps someone but it was not her main goal to become a queer icon um when she started writing these songs that she started just by using GarageBand and SoundCloud and she's just this kind of um, bedroom pop kind of people that are coming out with their do-it-yourself music and she she really hit it off and now there she is so shall we have a listen yeah. this is uh by girl and red and this is girls
That was Girl in Red with Girls. And we are continuing with our celebration of everything that is Pride Week um, with a film that celebrates an event uh, once described to me as the Gay Olympics. It's the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, there are actually the gay games. I just looked it up. But that's what that's what someone said to me, and it's kind of stuck with me ever since. Um, so this is uh, the new Will Ferrell film, and Johan wanted to talk about it. So I thought, all right, well, I'll have a quick look at this. Probably won't, won't be up to all that much. And my God, I loved it. And not only that, another person, I won't say who, but who you might not have expected like a very serious music critic I was speaking to yesterday, he was like, yeah, I've heard that's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's an, it, it's a total romp, basically. Well, Johan, you, you tell us. You, you were the one that brought it to our attention. What, what, what's it all about? Well, uh, the official title, it's long, eh? Eurovision Song Contest, the story of, the, of Fire Saga. It's a 2020 American musical comedy film directed by David Dobkin and written by Andrew Steele and Will Ferrell. And it follows Icelandic singers uh, Lars Eriksson and Sigrid Eriksdottir, uh, played by Will Ferrell and Rachel Mike Adams. And they are given the chance to represent their country at the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, their, their country being Iceland, right? And it was initially going to be... It was initially going to be released to coincide with the the real Eurovision Song Contest, but because of COVID nineteen and the pandemic, um, the Eurovision the real Eurovision Song Contest has been postponed or delayed until next year. So they released it on Netflix, and it became an instant number one, the the box the box office number one hit of the weekend. Obviously, it didn't come compete against anything else but still uh, everyone's going crazy about it online everyone's uh, watching it and enjoying it let me start by reminding that the eurovision song contest has been a key cultural mainstream event in helping visualize people from the lgbtq community for many years um it you know the the it was brought to the fore when conchita worst who makes a very delightful appearance in the most memorable scene in this movie uh, she won in well he won in 2014 and back then, it was the first time a drag queen had won uh, the contest. Even though before, in 1997, Icelandic pop singer Paul Oscar became Eurovision's first openly gay contestant, although he didn't win that time. And there's been many cases, right? Like uh, Dana International, who won the competition with the song Diva, which was a dance hall's hit celebrating women from, uh, from history and mythology. And um, Catherine Baker, who, was, who is a historian at the University of Hull, said that this was the first time audiences had the opportunity to see a transgender woman be successful at anything, um, which is an interesting observation. So, to make up for the cancelled TV event, we have a Hollywood A-list production of the Eurovision world. And what we all, what, what every review coincides with, with me is that we all expected... Uh, a, slaps, a typical Will Ferrell slapstick parody of Eurovision's kitschy pompousness, but instead he delivered a heartfelt love letter to the whole tradition, probably because his wife is Swedish and he's very, very much in love with her. And you know how Sweden and Eurovision are practically hand in hand. Well, no, apparently he's a big fan. Apparently he's watched the last 20 Eurovisions. And he's a and, and I think that really comes across because if it's like Eurovision itself. People are like, oh, it's all terrible. But no, it's, it's not. It's kind of done with a lot of a lot of love. There's a bit of humour, but that doesn't make it like throwaway or anything like that. And it's very much the same with this film. You can tell he really, really loves Eurovision. It's very much in in the spirit of it. And if you, it's an official Eurovision um, collaboration, um, but you know they don't try to make it like 
too overly serious or overly sort of whitewashed or anything like that you can see it's sort of ridiculous but it's ridiculous and 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 fun and it really really captures that thing and it's quite emotional you know it's like the very best in eurovision eurovision song in that way i like it because the whole thing of the pride that people have for uh, performing or watching eurovision is it's not about commercial triumph or becoming a star forever and become the next Beyonce. It's all about the contest, about shining as bright as you can in that one moment, competing against other countries, but not in a way where you want to erase the other countries. You want to just be the best, but also there's this kind of fr uh, sorority and fraternity around it, you know, where all the contestants are happy to be with each other. And this is very beautifully portrayed in what is the scene that everyone talks about, uh, uh, the, the song along scene, right? And I won't get, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to say who appears, but obviously there's very, there's incredible cameos, but it's just a celebration of just singing really, really big pop anthems together, you know, and, and the fact that you're celebrating diversity, uh, international diversity, all these characters, all these people, all these uh, different identities, it, it, it's a good reminder, you know, and that's why people, especially the gay community or the LGBT community has always embraced Eurovision because of this diversity, right? It goes beyond sexual preferences and genders, right? And, and the film taps into it. One of the things I love about the Eurovision Song Contest, I mean, it was actually designed to bring people of Europe together uh, in the 1950s, you know, very, very soon after the Second World War. Uh, it, and I, I love the idea of, you know, you have a contest, but it actually brings people together. And I don't know about you, but whenever I watch it, I always find myself, obviously, th there are countries that I've lived in, countries that I've got a relationship with, but I always find myself just like really rooting for someone you know maybe it's finland maybe this like yeah yeah this year i'm all about finland or like you're like yeah, yeah i've got to be behind romania this year which is something i i i really think it celebrates brilliantly um and the film the other thing about the film is the songs are really good they well they've been they were produced they were most of they were handled by a a very important music consultant uh, whose name I didn't jot down but I was he's got a very unpronounceable name which we will find out and uh, so he oversaw and he's written hits for Ariana Grande and for many big pop stars and he's also written hits for the Eurovision Song Contest so uh, he was the right man to have and he formed teams what's interesting is. Um, Rachel McAdams plays Sigrid, right? And she doesn't do most of the singing. The singing was backed by a Swedish singer who was a junior contestant at Eurovision back in many years ago. Uh, here it is. Molly Sandens. Uh, Molly Sanden, right? She was a junior contestant in 2006. And uh, the reason why they had to have in a stand-in for Rachel McAdams is because they needed a real uh, a singer who could reach those epic, epic high octaves. You know, we're talking higher than Mariah, right? And without giving too much away. So obviously, even though Rachel McAdams is an incredibly talented actress who's capable of singing, they needed uh, that kind of backup from Molly Sandens. So the, the, the songwriter involved was Savan Kotecha, whose uh, songwriting CV includes uh, Ariana, Ariana Grande's God is a Woman, Ellie Goulding's Love Me Like You Do, uh, the Weekends Can't Feel My Face, which is probably my favourite yeah. Weekend song, actually. And w another little detail I liked is I'm amazed at Will Ferrell's talent that he they, they don't um, 
parody the Icelandic um, accent in in a demeaning way. They don't look for the giggle. They're actually trying to speak like real Icelandic people. Obviously, being married to a Swedish woman must have helped because Icelandics and Swedish kind of pronounce uh, English vowels and stuff in a similar way and consonants. Um, so they got that right. Uh, and as I say, there are there are ridiculous moments that are you know that make it the comedy that it is, but. Usually, those comedy moments lead to the story of, you know, making these characters become uh, their whole quest become even more adverse, which is interesting. And I thought it was very interesting the um, the Russian character Alexander Lemtov, who sort of, in a way, you think he's going to be set up as as the villain, um, but he's not really. And it, it's very interesting at the end because he because he he basically comes along to to this. This duo again. I don't really want to say too much about it. Um, and uh, he he's he's sort of talking to Rachel McAdams' character about going away with him for various reasons, which we won't get into too much. But he's not really he's not really a villain. And I think one of the one of the it's never said that he's gay. In fact, he says that he isn't. But like, there's one scene towards the end where he basically, you know, she asks him, "Is he gay?" And he's like, "No, there are no gay people in Russia." And you're like, yeah. "Oh, that's a, you know, very sort of." It's a very subtle stab at Russia and Vladimir Putin's stance against homosexuality. So that makes me think that Will Ferrell's been very savvy, just like the Eurovision contest, by trying to please everyone. Obviously, don't make any kind of brash political statements. But the two main uh, enemies, shall we say, or the little stabs, and I swear they're super subtle, is one, Russia, in that scene that you've just mentioned. And the other is Will Ferrell's uh, harassment of his own country people of his own patriots you know they the hatred they he has towards the americans his character you know there's a moment with these american tourists and stuff and will ferrell uses it to really go at why you know the the world's vision of what americans are right so those are the two critiques and funnily enough north america is one of the few countries that doesn't take part in the Eurovision song contest apart this which is strange because uh, North America kind of is a European outpost. Oh, you, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, it was only European uh, acts, and now there's uh, um, Australia and uh, Israel, which I technically isn't Europe. Anyway, um, but again, that's the thing about the American the American tourists. Like, um, they don't come across as bad. They are the butt of very many jokes. But it's quite tender, and in the end, you know, you're actually feeling, oh yeah, actually, you're 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 kind of all right. And Will Ferrell's character goes on, oh, you go back and build your wall and go and get your cappuccinos, and you see these Americans just like, yeah, okay, right, whatever, you know. And they they help them out in the end. In the end, they come to Iceland, and Will Ferrell's really trying to insult them from stage, but they're just not having it. It's like, yeah, dude. And I actually, I felt really well inclined. I felt very good about almost everyone in this film. You know, like it really kind of made me happy. And it features a friend of yours. It, what was amazing is it features uh, uh, Laura Hayden. Well, her and her band Anteros. Uh, they, they they're a real band, uh, and she was on Sprung sometime uh, some time ago. And um, they're, so they're, they're playing the Finnish band, but they're playing a real song that's on their own um, debut album, right? When we land. So it's a weird situation. And apparently, Will Ferrell handpicked them himself. He really wanted this real band, Anteros, to be a be a part of the movie, even though they were playing a fictional band and stuff. And and it gives them some wonderful screen time. I'm afraid we're not going to have time for an interview with Laura. We're going to try and get her on the blower at some point, but we're going to play out 
with uh, their contribution to the Eurovision Song Contest with their real song, Full Moon. And I think that's all we have time for, right, uh, Rob? That's all we, I'm afraid, in this weekly review. I'll come and try to talk about Dark next time. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. And we'll see if we get Laura on the phone. But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Go and go and watch the film. Go and listen to Arca. Um, and uh, Mark, come see us soon. <laughs> yeah, I will, if you invite me. <laughs> Enjoy your summer holiday. Oh, thank you. As the night falls, opens, closed doors And the wind sweeps us in and out of sleep The clouds glide 